The devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness to speak in order that stones will become bread. This is no small abracadabra magic trick. Moreover, this is not a petty attempt to break down a ritual such as fasting. The devil is attempting to have Christ destroy the order of creation by corrupting the power of the word. Words have great power, and the word of God, which is an inexplicable thing far beyond our imagination, and it is also far beyond the reach of human language. And in this lesson, we will closely examine the temptation of the diabolical one in the wilderness. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and here with me in our studio is... Pastor Anthony Alegria. And today we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 4, and the title of today's sermon is Abracadabra, the Devil in the Wilderness. So let's actually begin by reading the first few verses out of Matthew chapter 4. We're going to come back to Matthew 4 in the future of our series, The Adventure of Holiness, but for today, let's just look at these first four verses and study the language here because it is something which is fascinating. Pastor Anthony, would you lead us in these first four verses of Matthew chapter 4? Just the first four verses that we find there. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, so today we're going to have some fun studying language and expanding our minds a little bit. We're going to be looking at the Greek language behind this text. We just read from the NRSV, but we need to look at something which is down deep within this text because there's a profound meaning behind this. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, is fully God and fully man. And as the tempter comes, he is really looking to tempt both of these phenomenal things which have come together in a beautiful union. He is tempting to tempt the Son of God and also the Son of Man. And as we know, they are one and the same. They're not two separate things which are similar or kind of bound together temporarily. They are fully one and the same. And in this text, we find Jesus being confronted by the devil to Diabolu, the diabolical one. And as English translations give a hint that the devil wants Jesus to speak in order that stone may become bread, we must realize that the English overlooks the profound nature of what the tempter has proposed. And if we go to the Greek New Testament, we will find the, dia the diabolical temptation comes as follows. And now, while that seems like a very angry thing to say, you get a particular word in there that is hina. You get that hepi hina statement in there. In other words, it's translated in English that something goes to speak in order that. But there's something more going on here than just a simple phrase in order that. We must understand this is a profound thing from the Greek language. And of course, that statement I said in Greek is translated in NRSV as, if you are the Son of God, speak in order that stones become bread. And there is a word in there that must be pointed out, and that is that word that we find is in order, the Hina Clause. And the English phrase lacks this profound nature which we must examine. The term means that there is a certain connection between things that happen in a series. There's an order to it. We see that in English as in order that, but really you've got like two events that come together and they're in a sequence and they're kind of immovable. One of them has a causal relationship which what is going to happen next. 
This is a term which means certain things happen in an order and one thing happens to cause a second thing to follow it. There is a sincere causal relationship between an act and that which is subsequent to it. To put this a little bit in common language, if I were to come in here with a lighter and pull it out, light it, and to then go and grab a whole bag of trash and dump it out on the floor and light the trash on fire, that might be cause for a bit of concern for you. You might think I'm a pyromaniac or someone who's a bit crazy because you look at that and say, he just lit a fire inside a building. And there is a conclusion to that. If the fire is not contained and being that it was lit on the floor in the middle of a room, it is going to burn down the entire house. There is an order to what has just happened. Lighting a trash pile and burning it would burn down an entire building. Something was set in motion which will cause other events to happen down the road. And whenever you see that Hena clause, that is really what is going on. The tempter, the diabolical one, comes scheming and says, if the Son of God speaks to this new series of events, well, then there will be a new series of events. If the Son of God breaks the order of events where life comes from the mouth of God, then there really it will be a new reality. And that's what he's coming to do. He says, speak so that these rocks, these stones, they will become bread. And now there's a human side to this temptation where one has been fasting, they've been doing a ritual, and sure, the devil wants to be as petty as to break someone's ritual and to break down something they are doing. And he, he sees that and he likes to see those things break down. But there's another side of this where, again, he wants to put into, get, into, into action a new series of events. Because if the Son of God breaks the order, of events where life comes from the mouth of God, then there is a hideous new reality where life is modeled after rocks, after the stones. And this is the significance of the Hina statement. It outlines a series of events where one thing causes another after it. And after an order of events unfolds, well, nothing can be changed. It cannot be stopped. So let's go back to this verse 3 and 4. If I were to actually translate this, and I did, I sat down and translated these two versions, verses from the Greek. Here's the translation that I have, and I feel like this may capture some of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. If you are the Son of God, speak into existence a new order where stone becomes bread. Verse 4, but he answered saying, one does not live by bread alone, but by everything said out of the mouth of God. Jesus has a firm foundation. He realizes that we are created in the image of God and our human spirit embodies reflections of God's nature. In fact, all of creation with the breath of life is capable of reflecting God's nature. When we see this, we, we go and we find that we love one another. We can love a dog, we can love a cat, and we can have an animal which is of a different species and see that it loves us back in return. We can be with another human and find that it loves us sincerely. And this love that we find between created things with the breath of life, you will find that you cannot replicate that. We have a lot of things. Back when I was a kid in the 90s, it was popular for people to have the, the little electronic monsters and things you would have. You'd have to feed it every day and it would die. You know, there are a lot of fun. There's a lot of different versions of these, whether it was something like the Furby or the, the Pokemon on the Game Boys. You had all these different creatures which were synthetic animals, but they never really loved you. They never were really real. And created beings that have the breath of life, they can give love that cannot be replicated with inanimate objects or software, anything artificial. Moreover, this part of the established order is where we find the breath of life coming from the mouth of God. And again, it was spoken into place in some inexplicable fashion. The diabolical one, the devil, he is opposed to this order. It craves death. 
the devil, the diabolical one, who, Diabolu, he hates the breath of life. He hates the idea that it comes from the logic of God. He detests the breath of life, and he wants a new order for creation, one that is drawn from rocks. One of the things that fascinates me when I come to this scripture is you really do see the resent and the hatred of the devil. And it's not unlike what we saw with the serpent and Eve. It comes and it tempts in a very mischievous way. You know, it doesn't ever tell you it's full intent on the front end. It kind of comes and it, it wants to pretend as if it is being petty. Pretend as if it's coming to say, oh, well, just go ahead and eat that fruit or perhaps turn these stones into rocks. You know, it'll be fun. It'll be a great thing. It'll be a miracle for all to see because, you know, you're out here without food or perhaps you can't eat that fruit or you've been fasting. You know, it's good to eat. Food is good. And, you know, it's true. Food is good. It's something which is a great pleasure for those of us who are living and breathing. We enjoy eating. But that's not the full picture. And the diabolical, and he doesn't tell the full picture, he simply comes and says, why don't you speak in order that this stone may become bread? You know, he kind of masks the great gravity of what he is saying. There's a phrase that we believe comes from Hebrew that is abracadabra. We hear this, and again, it's probably some abomination of the Hebrew language. We get debar in Hebrew, this idea of speaking in existence. But the phrase abracadabra, it has these possible roots of meaning, I speak, therefore it exists. And this phrase is often associated with mystic fairy tales where the laws of science are broken so that some magical power can come and do wonders. The tempter is not doing something in this story, which is unlike that. He, he's coming kind of begging Jesus. He says, why don't you just do a little abracadabra trick for me? But again, he's the tempter, so he's actually being a little bit mischievous in this. He's kind of hiding a, a larger thing here. Because while Jesus is fully man, he's fully God too. And if the word of God, and as we know, scripture tells us Christ Jesus is the word of God come fully in human form. When the word of God does an abracadabra trick, it's no small thing. Um, the, the Hena clause that comes from the word of God is a pretty big one. Whenever God sets something in order, it's something with serious ramifications. And for that matter, even when man sets something like sin in order, you know, it's capable of corrupting the entire world. And the tempter, he's not trying to do something as petty as a small magic trick, even though he's using that to mask his motives. But he is trying to do something quite extreme. It is true that Jesus is fasting, and to come and have Jesus to do that would kind of break that fast. You know, there's the, the, the sin in that, but then there's the larger goal that the tempter has in mind. He's clever, and hence he gets the name the diabolical one. While the tempter is not limiting himself to the pettiness, he does enjoy the pettiness. He is attempting to make use of something which seems small on the front end. This is often how evil works in the world. He is, he is hoping that he can manipulate Jesus into doing something which is really nasty. Because if Jesus does sit down and say, well, I'm going to speak in such a way that this rock turns into bread, and of course people eat bread, you know, this means our life would then be coming from this bread which came from a rock. But as Jesus knows, Jesus has a strong countenance, a firm foundation. He says the breath of life does not ultimately come from rocks. It doesn't ultimately come from bread. It doesn't come from food for that matter. Jesus doesn't even spend time reasoning with the devil about rocks or bread, but he simply says it comes from the mouth of God. Now, interestingly, if we look to the text, we don't actually find logos here. That's not what's used for word. But what is found within the, the scripture is it basically says, man lives by that which came out of the mouth of God. 
Now, it's a little bit different than just saying the word of God. It's kind of saying the product of God's speech is what gave us life. And that's exactly true. And that's exactly what Jesus understands and what he's reminding the devil as the devil comes to tempt him. The devil wants to, to distract from all the serious things and focus on the pity. But Jesus does not reason with the devil. No amount of debate will do anything to persuade the diabolical one from his goal. He is not here to have a sincere interaction with Jesus. He's not here to sincerely supply Jesus with some sort of means for his hunger. He is here to tear down the Son of God and to have him break the grand order of creation, to have it broken down to where it is fractured. The devil has come to destroy and tear the reason of God's saving grace. And I do enjoy how Jesus has not even addressed the potential of stones being used as bread. Again, bread is insufficient to provide the breath of life, and anyone who has lost someone they loved, you realize that here on this material plane, we do not actually have the means of bestowing the breath of life. If something passes in this world, you know, it's beyond our power. We we can replicate ourselves through procreation. We can have medical things, which are almost like miracles. But once the breath of life escapes from a body, it returns to God. And God is the only one who has authority in that domain. And as we find in this story, the life permeating throughout humanity, it, it does come from God. And the mouth of God is not going to be corrupted by breaking the order of creation just because a tempter festered up in the wilderness for Jesus. The devil himself, he wants Jesus' ministry to be stopped, and he doesn't want Jesus to bring about salvation from sin and have people healed towards holiness. The diabolical one, he does not want God's creatures, who, with the breath of life, to be restored to God. And if Jesus continues, redemption is coming in a powerful new way, and the devil wants to stop this. But Jesus, he does not respond to the devil. He does not debate with him. This is not a conversation at all, and Jesus just gives a sharp rebuttal that ends the discussion. And that is where we find ourselves. Let me go back and read those few verses again as we wrap up this message. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, it reads, If you are the Son of God, speak into existence a new order, where stone becomes bread. But he, Jesus, answered, saying, one does not live by bread alone, but by everything said out of the mouth of God. In this, Jesus does not debate with Satan, and he does not give credit to the devil's story or the devil's appeal. And the church must realize that there are times when we listen to people's stories and their appeals. There are times we give them great empathy. But there are also times when we are up against things which are insincere. And those words, they are not worth giving credit to. And how do we tell when from when? For starters, it's pretty clear that we should not give credit to someone's appeal whenever they are trying to get us to do something that is against the law and order of God. There are times we have disagreements, times that we find ourselves in conflict, but whenever something comes and says, I want you to break orthodoxy, I want you to say that either sin is not sin, or I want you to say that something which is not good is good, I want you to say that the nature of God is bad and the nature of bad is good, whenever those things start to happen, Whenever something so fundamental to creation, such as the breath of life coming from God, and then changing that to say, well, why don't you just live from bread or stone? Why don't you say that is the origin of life? Well, that is where things start getting a little out of hand. The diabolical one is attempting to get the Son of God, the begotten Son, who is the Word, existing as both God and man, to corrupt his power and use his own speech for wickedness. The diabolical one is tricky. He's trying to sell a great evil 
by masking it to make it look small and simple. He's trying to confuse life and something that is not life. And this is often how evil works. It tries to trick and confuse us to make us do something with firm conviction that we are doing good, even though we are not commanded by God to do it. Food is good. Food is desirable. Therefore, food makes for a great mode of leverage. It's a great leverage for temptation, especially when someone's hungry. And just as the serpent tempted Eve in the garden, the diabolical one has produced a scheme that will mask evil with the good of food. And so many times we see evil principles take control of the innocent by tricking them into thinking they are pursuing something good when really it is something which tears down and deconstructs and destroys. Jesus had the formal, the, excuse me, the moral firmness to resist such a temptation. Jesus had a firm foundation that knew that the mouth of God had produced the breath of life and that would not be replaced by rocks or even bread. Life is to be beautiful, to be something precious, and to something where love can be experienced in a way that cannot be found in lifeless things. God's nature is to love, and his creatures are capable of knowing this great joy. If we were to use bread or rocks as the origin of life, then we would lose this beautiful aspect of living. We would use ourselves for the purpose of nothing more than petrified stones. We would be inanimate objects without any purpose. But as we know, this is not what God had in store for us. This is not why God gave us the breath of life. And as we read this, we read through this temptation, we are reminded that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He experienced a temptation that would corrupt the order of God. And this sin would have lasting consequences. And often as we look at our own lives, we realize that sins, they're made to look small and petty. But they work against the created order that God gave us. Sin itself is not a mere abracadabra magic trick to enjoy as a passing pleasure. It is serious and it has serious consequences. Moreover, Christ came that we could be delivered from sin and healed to live holy lives. And as we close, I want us to spend some time contemplating how we can pursue the firm foundation that is found in Christ. Because the diabolical one is tricky. He comes making us think that we can indulge in small things, but really they are quite serious. And as we look at this, we see that he comes to tempt fully God, fully man, Jesus, the Son of God. Anthony, any final thoughts before we close? Nope. All righty. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.